to focus. And I just got it the best I could, and I was just like, well, maybe they won't notice. <laughs> you know, you ever done that? It's like, well, it's good, you know, maybe they won't really notice and everything. So uh, it was probably a few weeks later, we took our family. Y'all ever been to Pirate's Cove in Hot Springs, putt-putt golf? Anybody love putt-putt golf in here? No. I, I'm, I'm horrible at golfing, but I really like putt-putt golf. That's like uh, amateurs golf. So um, we were out there, and Allison, uh, our oldest, um, she's actually she's always studying just just generic topics. She's always just on random tangents, you know, studying things and everything. So she's become pretty brilliant. She's become a pretty good resource for knowledge in her 19 years. And so she said, "Do you know why pirates wore an eye patch over their eye?" And I just thought all of them had their eye gouged out. Something wrong with, you know, if to be a pirate, you know, you had to poke out one of your eyes. I don't know. And she said it was because it was on their life if something came over that horizon and they didn't see it. So when they were in the crow's nest, what they would do is they would put a patch over one eye and focus with the, the other eye. Until that eye got tired, and then they would rotate it over to that eye and use the other eye. That way they could watch longer, and, uh, and it helped them focus that way. So, oh, that's interesting. And so I looked off in the distance, and I covered up my left eye, and everything was blurry. I'm like, what in the world? And I covered up, and I, you know, you're trying to focus, 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 and nothing happened. So I covered up my other eye, and it was a little better, but still a little blurry. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like, I've always bragged on per. I'm like, you know, I'm 41. I always thought, you know, everybody's got glasses but me. Always ragging my sister, you know. It's like she had to get glasses before me. And I'm just like, I was like, my eyes are perfect. My ears are perfect. Everything's perfect. You know, thank God. But everything's perfect. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and so I went to the optometrist here in Eldorado at Walmart. And if y'all ever been to the optometrist here in Walmart? He's an older gentleman. He's hilarious. He, uh, he did some eye tests and everything, and then he pulled out some lenses out of the drawer. He said, come over here to the door. So I walk over with him to the door. He opens the door, and he, he said, uh, you see that squirrel playing in that tree over there? It was across the parking lot. I was like, no, sir, I, I, don't, I don't see any squirrels playing in the tree. So he held up the lens, and he's like, now you see it? I'm like, oh, my goodness. You have, I had no idea what I had been missing until he held that lens up. I'm like, wow, how long has it been since I've actually been able to see? And uh, what, I, what I actually have developed is when I'm driving, I can't see my gauges real well with my glasses on, so I have to lift up my glasses and I see the gauges perfectly. They're, per- they're clear. But in the distance, I need my glasses. When I look into the distance, if there's a car coming at night, it's just, just psh, y'all know what I'm talking about? It's just stars, you know? Um, but when I put, a, put my glasses on, it's just like everything's clear in the distance. So what had happened is my world had actually started getting smaller and smaller and smaller and I had no idea. Now it's just like, wow, look at that out there. Look at that out there. You know, I can all of a sudden, can anybody identify with me? I've talked to some people already about this because, yeah, and everybody like older than me claps, you know, it's like, (laughs) I'm in your club. All right, here we go. Um, So the church has focused on things up close for a long time. And what we've done is we've lost our ability to see the bigger picture. I think what we've done is we've gotten so closed up in the walls of the church 
focusing on each other. And, and, I, and I, there's no place I'd rather be. There's no people I'd rather be around. And that's, that's the way God has intended it. But we've gotten so used to this that we have lost sight of what's going on on the outside of this church. Amen. The church has become nearsighted. The church has been focused up close and we've lost sight of what's going on at a distance. We've lost sight of the bigger picture. And this morning, what I want to try to do in one way, I want to, like that optometrist did, I want to hold up a lens to your eye this morning. And I want to see if we can find what we've been missing. I want to hold up the lens and I want us to look through it and see the world, the gospel that we've been missing. Um, Here's what I feel like, what I think that God has been speaking to me over the last week or so, is that we have, you know, not, not, not by the intention of God, but we have drawn a line at the threshold of the church. And we've said this, even though we haven't said it out loud, we've lived this way. What happens in the church stays in the church. You know what, that's not just dangerous for your own life. If what goes on in the church stays in the church, it's detrimental to me. Because I'm living a double life. I'm living a double standard and I'm a hypocrite. If I'm living one way in the church and and everything, and I don't carry what's going on in here in its fullest extent outside those doors, then not only am I suffering... But the mission of Jesus Christ is suffering. And the mission of the church is suffering. And you know what? And I'm going to say this again later, but I just want to to say it now. That revival has waned in the church because it's been wasted. Revival has not been seen in the church in a while because it may be it hasn't gone outside the church the way it was intended. If we waste the things of God then we are in danger of those things waning or being reduced to us. We have got to be, biblically, we have got to be faithful with what He has entrusted to us. And if we're not, the Bible says that He will take it from one and He'll give it to another. Because He has no greater mission. Yeah, He wants to include us and include you and include me, but He has no greater mission than the gospel being spread throughout the world before He returns. And that has got to be our personal mission. And I know that y'all have heard it said over and over that that is the mission of Victory Church going forward. Is that God is calling us. He's built us, built us, built us. He's calling us to go out. He's calling us to be the church in this city and in this region. Um, our commission, uh, Jesus' commission to us is to disciple nations. That word disciple is not um, teach. You know, we think discipling is, you know, you sit in a Sunday school class. But that's not what that word means. When he sent the disciples out, he said discipling, but then he also teaching them to obey. It was two different things. That word discipling, that phrase right there, what it's actually uh, referring to is the shifting of a culture. It's what he was saying is go out. He said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now go discipling. And that word means actually to shift the culture to match heaven's culture. The world's culture 
to line up with heaven's culture. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now go and shift the culture to look like heaven. He didn't say shift the church to look like heaven. That's supposed to be a given. He said, shift the world's culture. Go out. He sent them out into the world. Okay. The way that you shift and I shift when I walk through those doors on a Sunday morning. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We come out of the world and we're just like, if I can just get to church on Sunday morning, God clean me up. From all this mess from work and everything else, all the stuff I've just been saturated with, I just feel like, ah, you know, I just got to get in God's presence. And so when we come through that, those doors, I see y'all doing it. Now, some of y'all, y'all just, y'all are just honest folks. And when you come through those doors, you are who you are. And I respect that. But some of us, when we walk through those doors, we, we, we turn that frown upside down. Before the greeter sees our face, you know, when we come through those doors, hey, brother, you know, sister, how y'all doing? You know, and we, we shift on the inside when we come through those doors because we're here to meet with God. There ain't nothing wrong with that. It's better than, it's better than, than bringing it in and just, I, I, honestly, I do see people, you know, that they'll come in and they're just like, they're just in another world the whole time. I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, you made it here. Shift, you know, shift that internal attitude, that culture, you know, shift it, line up. Come on, God wants to do something. You made it here. Don't waste this time. So when you come, and I've told you all this before, our pastor one time, we were, uh, we were em- employed at uh, a church and and he met us at the door and he's just like, and me and Leah, we were young couples and like young couples do, we just argued in front of everybody. You know, we were affectionate in front of everybody. We argued in front of everybody. It was just us. Wherever we went, we were our own little world. So, um, and he would be like, y'all going to have to, you know, put a smile on your face. It's like, well, I just don't believe in being dishonest. You know, I don't believe, you know, in faking it, you know. And he's just like, well, you're getting paid to fake it, so fake it, you know. And uh, so when we come in these doors and we make that shift, you guys, if we don't feel it, we put it on our face and, you know, we force ourselves into that. And that's awesome. But in the same way that we shift ourselves internally when we come into this church, the world has got to shift. We are called to go out and shift the world. We've been on the defense too long, guys. We have been, we have been so internally focused that we've lost sight of what's around us. We've lost sight of the Great Commission. And guys, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not, I'm not, um, I have a difficult time. I've studied uh, apologetics and, and all of that, but I still have a very difficult time talking to people about Jesus. I'm just, and, and, and I know y'all seem, you know, y'all are just like aghast, I understand. But <laughs> you, you are too. So there's a select few in here that are just natural evangelists. But it's not a gift in me to, um, to just walk up to people and be like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You know, um, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm, I avoid confrontation I, 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 in me. You know, I'm, I'm changing, okay? But, uh, but by nature, I avoid confrontation. By nature, I hate awkward moments. I hate to suck all that oxygen out of the room. Now, some of you are really good at that, and you know it, and you love every minute of it. I've been around you when you did it. I can't suck the oxygen out of the room like that. Um, 
But God is helping me. But what is God what God is calling us to do is to go out there and to shift culture. Okay. We are not Sunday believers. If you are a believer in here this morning and it's Sunday, then you're a Sunday believer. But you are called to be a Monday believer, a Tuesday believer, a Wednesday believer. You'll be called to be every day, every moment believer. And that is a revelation that many of us have not gotten a hold of yet. Because we clean up in here real well. Is this too too hard? I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. What we have done is we have taken the Spirit of God. Now, this is the same Spirit of God that rushed out of the... When Jesus was crucified, and the, whole, the, the Spirit of God rushed out of the Holy of Holies with such force that it busted open the heavy, thick curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. He... He busted out with such force that it ripped that curtain. Now this is an unseen, not a physical, the Spirit of God is not a a physical being. God is not physical, but He rushed out with such force that it blew open something that was physical. And you've got to ask yourself, why was He in such a hurry? Why was the Spirit of God waiting for that moment to blow out of the Holy of Holies? Where did He go and why was He in such a hurry? Well, I think you know where He went. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you already know where the Spirit of God went. He's in you. And He was in such a hurry because He could not wait to fulfill All of history, biblical history, in that one moment when He was made available to you and to live in you, the Spirit of God to dwell in you. But what we've done is we've taken that Spirit of God and we put Him back in the temple. This is not the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is not a uh, a ministry club. This is not a ministry. God has called the church to be a ministry coalition. God has called the church to be a collection of ministry. You are a minister. We are ministers. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God has called and ordained you to shift culture on the outside of these doors. One reason that we've... uh, um, one very practical reason that I began to notice that um, I think that we've tried to put God back into the temple is the phrase that we've coined full-time ministry. And I know that's, uh, uh, everybody's heard that, I think, you know. Um, as, a, as a teenager, when I really got serious with God, that was the phrase that everybody was throwing around. Has God called you to full-time ministry? You know, that had nothing to do with time. That just meant, has God called you to get a paycheck from the church? You know, that's may, may have, should have been what they just said, you know. Has God called you to get your paycheck from the church? You know, because, guys, we're all called to be in full-time ministry. Full-time ministry is a misnomer. Is that the right word? Misnomer? 
It sounds right to me. I'll ask Allison later. Um, but God has called us all to be in full-time ministry. But we've coined this phrase, full-time ministry. And that just means that we get enough income from the church that we don't have to work anywhere else. And I live most of my adult life in full-time ministry. And that means uh, um, I mean, every new believer, they have this dream of one day never having to leave the church. And that's what it comes down to. I never have to leave the church. I get an office. I just go in there and pray in the sanctuary anytime I want. I just minister to people all day. You want to know uh, what my experience is in full-time ministry? I'm actually, uh, and I'll get into this, but I'm not in full-time ministry anymore. But I actually feel like I'm being more effective in ministry, not being in full-time ministry. When I was in full-time ministry, the only time I came out of my office is I had, a, I had a list of things I had to get done. I had to call people who were sick. I had to do all of these things. And it was all internal. It was internal management is all it was. And the only time I got out is I would go eat lunch at the high school with the students and everything. And they didn't want me there. I was a geezer in the room. You know, nobody cared if I was there. But, and I, I and then I got to preach on to the, every Wednesday night and things like that. And guys, I just felt, at some point, I just felt really, really sheltered. <laughs> I felt like I was in a bubble. And everything was going on on the outside of my little bubble. And you know how church goes. Church has its own culture. Every church has its own culture. Every denomination. Guys, I can walk into the back of a church and I can call the denomination in five seconds. Depending on what people are wearing, how people are dancing or not dancing, (laughs) you know, how they pray. Everything is very characteristic of a certain denomination, a certain movement, a certain church. We all have our own flavor. And um, so we get in these bubbles. And I was in that bubble. So um, we want to be able to do ministry all the time, never have to be around the world out there again. Can I tell you something? That God will never deliver you from people who you're in place to reach. God just deliver me from this job. God is just so bad. You know, people are so mean. People are so vulgar. You know, deliver me from this job. What God is trying to do is deliver those people. And I really don't know how to make this shift. I really don't know what it's going to take in me and in you and in other people. I don't, I don't know what, it's, what God has to do in us to get us to a place where we actually become salt and light in the world. Where we actually stop being intimidated by the world and we become the intimidator. Where we actually start to take charge in the Spirit in the areas where God has obviously placed us to minister. The places that God has obviously put us, I just say, He's probably not going to deliver you from that. And if He does deliver you from that, it's just going to be to ease your load. And God, honestly, I don't want God to ease my load. I don't know about y'all, but I just want more. I just, God, strengthen me, please. But don't take take it away from me. Don't make me go backwards. Don't draw me back. We are not of those who draw back. We are those who advance. 
And when God has put us in a dark place, He knows it be, it's because we have the ability to shift a culture with the light that's in us. So, um, what we do then is we work a job, we try to stay saved and attend church, or we're in full-time ministry. It's one or the other. And those of us that don't make the cut, what we do, our responsibility is we tithe to pay those that do make the cut. That system is... Every component of that system is right. The focus is all wrong. God has not called some of us to be in full-time ministry and some of us to be out in the world and attend church and tithe and try to pay, you know, so we can uh, pay the ones that are in full-time ministry. Um, is tithing biblical? You better know it. <laughs> and you better, you better, you better um, do what he said and try him in this and see if he won't be faithful. It's people in the church... Let me, let me say this. Are people in the church that we can pay to be completely focused uh, on church ministry? Is that biblical? Absolutely. But where we lost our focus is in our view of ourself. Where we've lost our focus is that we feel like we are not part of that equation. And we are. So that's not a biblical view. Focus. Of the church. So those that are employed by the church are actually not even the ones that are called to do ministry. I want to say that again. You're going you're gonna to disagree with me, but I'm going to back it up. The people that are employed by the church that are in full-time ministry are not even called to ministry. Even the coin full-time ministry is incorrect. Those that are employed by the church are not the ones that are called to do ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Miss Tanya, if you've got it, everybody can see it. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. We're going to read through verse 13. These... This is the scripture referring to the ministry, uh, ministry gifts that God gave. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of of the ministry. I'm going to say that phrase again. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is what we call the fivefold ministry. That is what God gave the church. He said, I'm giving, and guys, I want to tell you, none of these passed away. And I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't even want to get into that discussion with you. I've, I've, I've experienced all five, I've experienced, I've seen all five parts of the fivefold ministry at work in the church, and every one of them are needed. And they have got to come together, and they have got to operate in the fullness of the church if the church is going to walk in the fullness of what God has called it to do. We need every office. 
operational in the church. And, and Pastor Cricket has been working so hard to bring in people to expose us to all these different ministry gifts and to get those operational in here. Um, ministry is making disciples or shifting culture. Ministry is for the ones that are out there every day. It's like saying that the general in the army is supposed to go out there on the front line and and do all all of the all of the shooting and all of the defending all of that. The general is the one that is equipping. The general is the one that's getting the plan together and and equipping the the soldiers to go out and do what the soldiers are supposed to do. Guys, I want to tell you, we are all soldiers. And we are placed on the battlefield every day. And God has put us strategically in place to do something. And we've got to stop looking at church leadership and say, and say, why aren't you doing something? And if they're training you up, they're doing what God has called them to do. And they're fulfilling the highest call of what God has called them to do. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. They were giving, given to the ministers by Jesus to equip them for ministry. In 2008, God uh, took me out. It was a 2008. You corrected me on this last time I said this. Uh, in 2008, God took me out of a, about a decade of working uh, in churches and placed me in a radio shack. I was in ministry and and I felt like we were advancing in ministry. And, you know, you kind of, kind of like in any workplace or whatever, you, you get some credibility, you get a little bit of a resume, you know, and you kind of work your way up, you know. <laughs> That's the way it, uh, it works sometimes. So, but anyway, so God uprooted us out of full-time ministry and put me in charge of a radio shack. Y'all remember? Radio Shack, it's been a while. It's been a few years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was tolerant of that because I thought it was temporary. God, what kind of lesson you want to teach me? I want to hurry up and learn this lesson so I can get back in full-time ministry, you know? And it was very, a very difficult uh, season of my life. Um, and that was the season where uh, Leah went through cancer and chemotherapy, and um, my boss was not understanding. He would not let me. Uh, he did, was not flexible. You know, he was just uh, kind of a. Um, well, I don't want to say anything because he, he may be watching live stream. <laughs> Praise God. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> um, but I thought it was temporary. Did you count? It wasn't. It wasn't temporary because I stand here before you today, not in full-time ministry. That's been a while ago, about 12 years ago or so. Um, in 2012, God gave me another task. He shifted me over to managing uh, the audio installs for Binsburg when it was here, here on Northwest Avenue. And uh, we were living in Arkadelphia, and I was driving back and forth to El Dorado and working this job. But God put me there, and I knew it. It was so obvious the way that God opened that door. It's just like, okay, God, I don't want to do this. But this is the door you've opened. And every other door closed. So I know that you've done Two years later, God basically gave us that business. And, and everybody's like, hallelujah. And I didn't... I, you know what it felt like to me? It felt like the door that I was hoping to go through back into full-time ministry closed 
bolted, dead bolted, chained. You're not coming through this ever again. That's what it felt like. It felt like my road back into full-time ministry was gone forever. Because when you own a business, it's different than working a job. It's a commitment. It really is. It's a full-on commitment. Um, And that day, so that day full-time ministry was over for me. And here's the, the conclusion I came to was that God has put me out to pasture. I felt like God looked at my, reviewed what I had done in full-time ministry. and like, nah, I'll get somebody else. That's what it felt like. And God's like, I'll give, you a, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a business. I'll take care of you. But your time in full-time in ministry is up. And that's what it felt like. So, um, a couple of years ago, do y'all know who Chris Valentin is? Um, Chris Valentin is one of the pastors at Bethel in California. And um, they're a little bit on the edge of things, which is why I like to glean. I like, I like to glean from ministries who, who take a little bit of a risk and live on the kind of the edge of what God is doing. They get it wrong a lot. I'll give, I'll give you that. Yeah, they get it wrong a lot. But if God is doing something, if there's something, they're the first ones to find out. So I like to glean from those things. And so, but Chris Valentin, he prophesied about the next revival uh, a couple of years ago. He prophesied about the next revival being in business, which made no sense to me. I'd never seen revival outside of the church. Y'all know what revival is, right? It's where the guy gets up and he and he gives a very convincing message, maybe a few nights in a row, and then he gives an altar call. And by the end of the revival, the altars are full. And a lot of people get saved, and a lot of people rededicate their life to the Lord. A lot of people get filled with the Holy Spirit, and we call that revival. And it has been my experience in the past that that was revival. And so this, this prophetic word that he gave said that the next revival... Great revival would be in business. I had no point of reference for that. But I paid attention because I had one. <laughs> because we were in business. And so it got my attention because that's where we were at. And I was still feeling like maybe God was done with me in ministry. Um, so the question, what does that even look like? Um, what I described to you is, is, has been revival in the church. It's been the revival of the church, and it's what God has been doing. God has been reviving the church, but God is about to revive the world. God has been reviving the church for centuries to get the church to a place that the world would experience revival. Another thing that uh, this man was saying, he said, you know, the only way that the, 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 the church can get brighter and brighter and brighter and the world get darker and darker and darker is if we put the light under a basket. <laughs> if we've kept the light in the church. God has called us to be light in the world. He's called us to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Y'all know these churches that don't have any windows, right? And it's just like, what's going on in there? You know, these denominations, I'm not going to name any, but there's these denominations that don't have no windows. I was in one of the churches because they needed help with the sound system, and everybody looked at me like, we don't know you, you know? And I'm just like, I'll oh, just fix it and get out. Um, we're not 
called to be those kind of churches that don't have windows, you know, just keep everything inside and secret and everything. We're called to be the salt and the light of the world. Okay. So, um, here's what I learned. I learned that God never intended there to be a line between church and everything else. Uh, if you're in business, by the way, that uh, Bethel has, has started this uh, this organization called Heaven in Business, and it's all over Facebook and everything. So I, I've been gleaning from that, and it's just so good. So if you're in business uh, after this, please find it's Heaven in Business and follow that on Facebook. Um, I've been gleaning from that for a couple of years. and um, But God has never intended there to be a line between the church and everything else. Church was never intended to be a ministry entity, but a coalition of ministries. Tax-exempt organizations, 501c3 status, and you give it a snappy title, that does not make a ministry. Just because it it makes an acronym... When you put all the, the first letter of all the words and it makes a cool acronym, that doesn't make it ministry. Your status with the IRS does not make it ministry. God doesn't use any of those standards. We've been passing around the anointing in the church for years. And we call it revival. Because somebody that was in the church, they fell away and then they came back. We've got revival. We've just been passing around anointing in the church. Passing around the light. And if we're honest, we like revival that way. It's easy that way. We like revival like that because it's a controlled, like a controlled lab experiment. It's like we can keep a handle on it. You know what I'm saying? You can attend it or not attend it. It's up to you. You're in charge of it. It's safe, it's predictable, and we can manage it. We can come go as we please. But if we erase the line at the threshold of the church that keeps revival in the church, things get really invasive in your life. Things get out of your control. And a lot of us, we don't like it that way. But our co-workers start getting nervous. We begin to suck the oxygen out of the room everywhere we go, for one thing. Our co-workers get nervous. Our Friday night movie choices begin to change. God suddenly takes over and life starts to revolve around His glory. And it gets very uncomfortable. And the Holy Spirit begins to put His finger on things in our life and, and say, we got to shift here, we got to shift here, we got to shift here. And God begins to clean us up and to line us up so that we can be carriers of His glory that He's intended. And that is something that many of us know will happen in the back of our mind. And so we really don't look forward to that. We like things the way that they are. We like to be in control of what God is doing. We like to be in control of how involved we will be in what God is doing. But if God gets out of the church, all is lost. All of that is lost. Can I say this? If it isn't life, it isn't ministry. If it's church, it's training. If it's life, it's ministry. If it isn't out there, it isn't ministry. What happens in the church cannot stay in the church anymore. What happens in the church cannot 
stay in the church. When what happens in the church happens in our life, everything changes. Revival is like... Have y'all ever... um, Let's see, what's a good example of this? Kind of like when you put... uh, Have y'all ever put like food coloring in water? You know, you put food coloring in water and just like one drop and it's there at the top and everything and then it just begins to spread and take over. The Bible talks about like uh, yeast and dough and things like that. When the gospel gets out of here, guys, it just takes over. It just spreads. If we want to keep it in here, you know, God has given us all a free will and God's given us a corporate free will. And a lot of churches have gone down that road, but there a lot of them aren't around anymore. I feel like the prophetic word that God has given me is that there the ceiling that we have all experienced. And I said something, we had a praise and worship meeting last night and I, and I said a little bit about this, but I feel like what God is doing is he's, he's brought a lot of people together who have experienced ministry ceilings. That you've gone to a certain extent in church and in ministry and you've hit a ceiling and maybe it hurt real bad when you hit that ceiling. Maybe maybe there was a betrayal. Maybe, And a lot of times that's what happened. There was a betrayal. There was uh, some kind of a really big disappointment and we hit that ceiling and then we, we, we dissipated out. Everything dissipated. And I want to tell you that I believe what God is doing in this church and in this movement, you know, because now with the addition of Monroe and Pensacola and then there's Pine Bluff and all of these different campuses, that what God is doing is God is removing the ceiling. But y'all know the, y'all know the, the whole experiment about if you take fleas and you put them in a jar, you know, and they'll jump up and hit the, hit the lid. Jump up, hit the lid, jump up, jump up. And then you uh, take the lid off after a certain amount of time and they won't jump past the lid. When God takes the ceiling off this thing, we're going to have to retrain the way we think. We're going to have to stop pretending like that there, that there is a ceiling, that there is a lid. And we're going to have to actually jump a little higher and go a little farther and stretch a little more, be uncomfortable a little more. Be willing to suck all the oxygen out of the room at work. Okay, so I've heard people say this, you know. The coming, I've heard people say, literally, I've heard people say, I am a Christian, but this is business. Y'all ever heard that? There was a time in my life when I was just like, okay, whatever. But now it's just like, what? You know, when people say that now, it's just like... What are you even talking about? You know, when people say, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian, but... If you say, I'm a Christian, but anything, come on. You're just, you're just easing your conscience with church is what you're doing. The coming revival is going to saturate parts of culture that we have insulated from the church. What God is fixing to do in El Dorado, in South Arkansas, North Louisiana, and Monroe... In Pensacola, Gulf Shores, everywhere that we are, what God is about to do is He's going to saturate parts of culture that have been insulated from the church. I've heard, and many of you heard this, and some of you may believe this, but I've heard people say that there's got to be a separation of church and state. And you can argue uh, the, uh, you know, the you can argue the letters from Lincoln. You can argue all of these things having to do with government. But I don't care if it's there or not. 
I want God to saturate every part of my life. I'm not separating God from anything. If if somebody says separation of God and I'm no, don't talk to me about that. I don't want God separated from anything in my life in government. I don't, just God's take over everything. God saturate everything. I'm not going to be the one to build a wall and say, God, don't come in here. Don't come over here. We've got to separate this from you. I, you know, and that, that may offend some people, I know, because that's well, I'm, I'm towing politics right now. But I'm telling you, I don't want God separated from anything. Why would anyone want to be a Christian if it's not going to affect every part of your life? The, one, the life giver, why are you going to keep him out of anything? He wants to bring life. He wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. He wants you to spring up like a way. He wants you to to flourish. He wants you to be a, a shining light. He wants all of these things to do, not just through you. Did you know if God does something through you, He first has to get it to you. And so when I say, God, I don't want you in this part of my life because I really like to watch these movies on Friday night and you're not welcome to that. You know, I'm just telling you that because that's the shift that we're, we've made, you know, over the last few years is just like, ah, I can't watch that anymore. You know, the Holy Spirit just like, no. So, um, so attending church without living church is just for your conscience. I got to speed it up a little bit. God wants to blow up everything in your life. It's going to seem messy and unmanageable and it's going to drive your OCD up the wall. But God's way is counter to your way, but it is perfect. Just because you think you've got it figured out doesn't mean you've got it figured out. Because God's way is perfect. Let's read this really quick. This is going to be a two-parter message, it seems. Okay, so 2 Samuel 6 says this, and I'm just going to go through it real quick, Miss Tanya, so we don't have to go there. But it says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000 men, and, God, and David arose and went with all the people who were with who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up the ark of God, those name who is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Okay, y'all get the picture. Okay. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, the the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. And then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood and harps and stringed instruments, tambourines and citrums and on cymbals. Sounds like church to me. Sounds like a worship service. And then when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him. Of David, But David took it aside into the house of Obedidim the Gittite. Now this is where, this is the twist. Y'all like the twist in the story? Here's the twist. 
the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obededom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obededom and all his household. Okay, so let me recap. They're bringing the ark back. David, the king, the man after God's own heart, the chosen one, is bringing the ark back. One of his men, close men, went to steady the ark or else it would have fallen off the cart. Doc stumbled. He went to steady it. Struck dead. Dave, first David got mad. Because he was dead set on getting the presence of God back to the temple. And so he, first of all, he was mad. And then he got really scared. The ark literally contained the presence of God. So when we're talking about the ark of the covenant, we can, we can say this was the presence of God. It contained the... It's not, it wasn't figurative. Obviously, Uzzah died. So it was the, the, the actual presence of God in the ark. And David was trying to carry God's presence the same way the Philistines did. God never commanded it to be put on an ark and pulled by oxen. He commanded staves to be put through it and it to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites. He had given specific instructions on how the presence of God was to be carried and he looked over at what the world did because it's been a while maybe they forgot but the Philistines delivered it back because there's that's a funny story yeah we'll tell that story so the Philistines brought it in uh, stole the ark they thought they were going to steal what made Israel victorious they brought it into a city everybody in the city got hemorrhoids you look it up that's what the word means. Everybody in the city. Some versions say tumors. The original is hemorrhoids. Everybody in the city got hemorrhoids. So bad. And mice. And there was an infestation of mice. It got so bad, they put it on the cart. They made these... <laughs> so dumb. They made golden images of the hemorrhoids. <laughs> put it on the ark with the ark of the God and sent it back. It's a true story. It's in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Y'all just don't read your Bible enough. That's what it says. And mice. They make golden mice. And they put it all in there. So when they received it, they said, okay, let's just do it the way they did it. You are not going to be able to carry the presence of God the way the you have in the past. You're not going to be able to carry... Here's what's happening right now. In the New Testament... And this is going to kind of jump around, but I just I feel like I need to say this. In the New Testament, not the Old Testament, Ananias came, before, came to Peter and he said, here's all the money for, our, for the land we sold. I'm giving it to the church. And the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and said, that's not all the money. So he asked me, what did you say? Was, is it all the money? Yes, it's all. He had kept some of it. And he fell dead. Peter, who is the worst liar in the history of the New Testament, in the, in the entire New Testament, Peter was the worst liar. He lied in Jesus' most critical moment that he even knew him. Three times. Worst liar in the Bible. He was the one standing there administering the judgment of God. He was the one that was standing there saying, but he had enough he was close enough to God to realize, oh, this is something different. There is something going on here that is not like what we've experienced before. The Bible calls it Kairos moments. It's the moments where God 
gets involved. Where God shows up and says, right now, this has to happen. And everybody... See, Peter realized, oh, this is different. So he shifted. He, he, didn't, he probably didn't know that was going to happen. But in that moment, it shifted. So when his wife came, it was the same routine. And it says, great fear fell upon the church. And we're like, oh... Everybody was scared. That's not a good thing. Revival broke out. There was a seriousness to the presence of God where people were lying to the Holy Spirit was not acceptable. There wasn't, it wasn't acceptable anymore. There are things in my life that used to give me a bad feeling. Now I feel like they would ruin me. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit never puts slack in the rope. He's always tightening it up. Pulling you in. Pulling you closer. And the things have to fall off. The things have to change. I feel like i got I got to say this. We talked about the Ark of the Covenant. We talked about how David tried to carry it the same way the world did. In Obadidim's house, the only difference was the Ark was at rest and the house was blessed. What God is looking for today is for the Ark to be at rest so the house can be blessed. You cannot drop off the Ark of the Covenant, keep it mobile and transportable, and expect the house to be blessed. Where is God's presence today? It ain't in the ark. Indiana Jones can look all he wants. It's not in the ark. The ark isn't out there. The presence of God is in you. You are the ark of the covenant. So what if you allowed God to rest in you? What if you took the ark off the cart and you put it in your house? We stop walking around with God's presence trying to do life the world's way. Let me give you three steps to revival in your own life outside of these walls. Number one, stop making excuses for what you allow in your house. Don't look around at other people who seem to be better Christians than you and do what they do. If God is, if the Holy Spirit is calling you to a higher plane, don't ignore it. Don't make excuses. Number two, stop avoiding conversations at work that may get awkward. If God gives you an opportunity to speak up, suck down that lump in your throat and get it out. Say what you got to say. Number three, stop ignoring hurting people. When Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil, the Bible says He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So stop ignoring hurting people. Saying you don't have time to pick up somebody on the side of the road. You don't have time to help. It's a shift of priorities. So after being transported for 40 years through the wilderness, the ark came to rest in the tabernacle and was never supposed to leave until Jesus died and the Spirit of God rushed out with that intensity that split the curtain in Eager to get to His new home in you and me. This church is not the tabernacle. The ark doesn't belong here anymore. You are the carrier of the presence of God. He goes where we go. That means whether you're in church talking to somebody on the job or picking a movie to watch, the presence of God has got to rest in you. Conviction. We don't like conviction. 
I know. Woo, man. Conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is usually asking you to do something that, oh, God, I've got to go make this right. Oh, I've got to go confess this. Oh, it's never fun. I know. I have been under, I have, I've gotten under a, such deep conviction that I just thought it was going to kill me. And just that fighting, oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, but the Holy Spirit won't let me go. Conviction is a symptom of personal revival. But the Holy Spirit is not God's watchdog in your life. That's not what He's trying to do. He's not trying to beat you into submission or get you to line up. The Holy Spirit is just there to make sure. uh, He's not just there to make sure that you do everything right. He's there to keep you connected with the power of heaven. When we take the presence of God for granted, we shut the door of heaven in our life. And conviction is the Holy Spirit's foot in the door trying to keep abundant life flowing into you. I've learned to love it. It's it's tough. Man, if I never felt it again, where would I be? If you never felt conviction again in your life, what would that mean? So when I feel the conviction, oh God, you're not done. You're not done with me. You're calling me deeper and further. Man, I really want to get into this whole thing about the third Paul's third heaven and <laughs> Wow, that's another that's a whole other thing. Okay. Aren't you tired of being intimidated? Aren't you tired of being a victim of the world? Aren't you tired of feeling like when you go into a worldly, a fleshly, a carnal, a vulgar situation or whatever, you feel like you're at the bottom? You feel under the weight of all this. Oh, it's so bad. I know I am tired of feeling that way. If we took our position... The Bible says we're seated. I'm refer to it a little bit. We're, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. He said, I've, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He said, I have been given the keys to all things. He said that all authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. Guys, I want to tell you, if we would take our position, we would become the intimidator. And not in a bad way. I'm just saying. We'd become the force to be reckoned with. It doesn't matter how dark something is. I can walk into a room with a match. It can be pitch black in here. And when I light a match, it lights up. It spreads light. When you walk into a dark place, all you have to do is turn on the light. We can become the trendsetter. We can become the culture definer wherever we are. Let's stand to our feet today. And we'll come to this some other time because there's so much more I want to I want to cover about what Jesus did about the position that God gave us Everybody put your hand on your heart and just pray we're going I'm going to pray this you pray it after me if that's okay if you if you if you this resonates with you to say Lord rest in me start revival in me I give you access to my life outside these walls. In Jesus' name, amen.